Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. everybody. Welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers podcast. I have a really interesting guest with me today. He's Victor Elman, and he is the chief marketing officer of Circuit City. Not the former chief marketing officer of Circuit City. He is the current chief marketing officer of Circuit City, a brand which is being rebooted. And I think we have a very interesting opportunity to dive into a classic great brand that obviously hit very hard times and became a, a victim like many other great retail brands have recently done, like whether it's Toys R Us or Neiman Marcus or Linens and things. There's all these brands out there that simply couldn't somehow succeed in uh, in a new world. And yet now we're starting to see some of them be rebooted and one of them is Circuit City. So really interested in getting into that with Victor today. Victor, welcome. Thank you for being here. And why don't you give everyone a little bit, you have a, such an interesting background as well. Before we get into Circuit City, uh, tell the viewers and listeners if you would a little bit about yourself and your background. Hey, Howard. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm a fan and I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, a little bit about me. I've been in uh, retail my whole life. And when I mean my whole life, I am literally mean my whole life. My parents had retail shops growing up, so I was a retail baby. I grew up, you know, five years old behind a cash register. I've done every job there is in retail, sweep the floors, customer service, um, all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, retail's in my blood and uh, just can't ever leave it. That's amazing. That's great. Well, and uh, coming to a brand, a great classic brand like like Circuit City, you know, in a way, one of the great retail brands of the last hundred years or certainly you'd have to say in the top, I don't know, top 20 or 30 or something like that. Um, that's a really, really interesting, cool opportunity. I'm really uh, congratulations on getting that role with such an exciting reboot of the brand. Thank you. It's not every day you get to uh, rebuild a iconic brand from the ground up. So uh, it's not lost in me this opportunity, and it's something that uh, I'm excited about Indeed. every single day awesome. when I get to work. So I'd like to start actually a little bit in the past. One thing that that when you and I talked before the episode, you mentioned to me that, and it makes so much sense that one of the things you had an opportunity to do as you were rebooting the brand was talk to a lot of the executives at Circuit City from from the. the so we say Circuit City 1.0, the one that failed. And uh, I think it's always interesting to look back. We're, so many of us work for big companies that were trying to make successful and to not fail in, in a rapidly changing world. And obviously that was uh, Circuit City is kind of a cautionary tale. But any, any details you can share about the, the deep dive you did on, so what the heck happened with Circuit City? Why was it that they ultimately weren't able to kind of keep going and what if, what can you learn or what can we all learn from the failures of Circuit City in the past that you may be applying to the reboot and that other retailers or even other businesses might apply as they think about avoiding that same fate? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, one unique thing that we had at uh, Circuit City is that the consumer electronics industry is a small industry. It's not that big. It's not that many retailers. So everybody in our industry has worked at or has worked with Circuit City at some level, um, you know, since 19, the brand's been around since 1949. So everybody's, everybody in the industry had a chance to work for it. So we had an opportunity 
especially during 2016, where if you recall that time, it was everyone was talking about how retail is dying. It's the retail apocalypse, retail is dying. What does retail even mean today? Uh, why are we even coming back? So we had a, a really good um, couple of years of just trying to understand where does Circuit City fail, talking to all the executives and all the people who touched Circuit City over the last 30 years or so, and uh, really get to understand what went wrong, how do we do it differently uh, moving forward. And I think there are like two key, um, two key themes that kept on reoccurring over and over again about, hey, if only they didn't do this um, type of things. Uh, one of them was Circus City was known for their sales staff. They've had uh, people who were there that have worked at Circuit City for years and years and years, and they were staples of the community, and people came to them for advice and things like that. And uh, they were compensated based on commission. So they had a salary, they had commissions, and they were paid very healthily. And what we've learned is uh, somewhere along the process, um, towards the end, Circus City decided to, hey, let's get away from the commission sales service team and go towards a know, fixed hourly wage uh, employee and uh, basically let go. A lot of people left uh, that had been tenured for Circuit City for many, many years. And um, that was one thing that was consistent. Everybody said that was a transition and so that, was, that should have never happened. Uh, that's something that we should have kept uh, a long time. So that's one thing that I've heard constantly. The second thing is uh, Circuit City left the appliance business. It was a multi-billion dollar business for them and they just decided to exit it um, uh, one day and uh, it completely shrunk the, the number of people going into the stores for appliances and it gave competitors, uh, it gave our competitors something to, to have to differentiate themselves from Circuit City. So those I think are the two key uh, elements that were just recurring over and over again. Um, the two big mistakes leading up to the demise of the old circuit city. It's so interesting. So often one assumes that the given that digital has been the sort of driving change agent for most industries and certainly a huge impact on retail, that when these businesses fail in this current age, it's probably because somehow they miscalculated something about digital. They didn't they failed to transform enough, et cetera, et cetera. But it's interesting to me that that digital doesn't seem to be at the front of that list. How, was Circuit City, um, was that also a factor? Was Circuit City actually doing pretty well in digital and the issues were really more in the store space? How, how did digital factor into it? Yeah, ironically, uh, digital was, uh, we were, they were the pioneers of e-commerce. Um, they had the biggest ones and I think, I don't remember the exact metrics, but someone told me that they did billions of dollars in e-commerce in 2000, 2008, 2009. So they're one of the biggest e-commerce players and uh, they spend a tremendous amount of uh, digital marketing. So I don't think that was the key. It was just all the stores and the bloat and bad management for many years that led up to that demise. You know, and I wonder, and, and I'd be curious if any of the insights you got either confirm or, or refute this idea, but uh, when we talk about something like eliminating the commission, you know, and you start to think, well, well, why would something like that happen? Why would a big brand uh, you know, devalue their longstanding employees. And, you know, I don't know, and I'm curious what you might know, but if I had to guess, and, and my guess may be wrong, is, is that maybe 
digital also plays a role in that in the sense that what's happened to so many retailers is that retail, of course, has always been a, a relatively low margin industry. That's one of the biggest challenges of retail. And then when you want to offer a great experience to customers, whether that's by having higher paid experts who are in the store or anything else that makes that experience great, one of the challenges you have is that showrooming effect. You know, how much can you charge for that Sony mirrorless camera if somebody online that's not providing that level of expertise is selling it for 10% less, then you run the risk that you know your, your customers may get advice from you, but they may do the transaction elsewhere. And so one thing I've noticed is that there's this irony, there's this, there's this puzzle for retailers, which is that on the one hand, if you want to be running a retail store, you have to figure out why, how do you make it worth a trip? How do you compete with digital? Because if all someone wants to do is a transaction, it's more convenient, let alone more expensive typically to go to Amazon or somebody else online. So you have to find a way to make it worth the trip. And at the same time, whatever it is you're doing, if it adds too much to your cost, all of a sudden you're either not profitable and you go out of business like Circuit City, or you have to raise your prices to the point that now people may be drawn to the experience, but you can't, um, you know, you can't actually uh, uh, make the transactions because your prices are higher than what someone could get on the internet. So I don't. I'm curious if you had any clues as to whether this challenge, specifically competing with online retailers or pure play online retailers, or let's be frank, Amazon, was one of the reasons why they almost felt pressured that they had to move away from the higher commission models and they were just sort of boxed into a corner? Or were they just, you know, trying to maximize their profit? I don't know. But any thoughts about all that? I think there was a lot of competition at the time. Best Buy was uh, gaining a lot of market share and they had a uh, hourly, um, an hourly sales associate. Uh, I, I think it's a balancing act. I think uh, what Circuit City lost was his identity and what they were known for, which is a consultative um, retailer that helps customer find solutions and, and help customers find what they need as opposed to a self-service model or um, someone without the basic yeah. knowledge of things. Yeah. But uh, definitely, you're right. The, the digital probably played a big part yeah. in that decision. Well, great. So let's let's pivot now and let's talk about the reboot itself. So I'm guessing, first of all, in the reboot, you're paying commission and going back to appliances. Is that the part of the plan? <laughs> uh, not appliances yet, but we are. Uh, we learned from a lot of things. So part of this reboot process uh, when the brand was acquired in 2016, again, was figuring out what do we want to be in this world of retail. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that we've learned is we want to have the customer be hand-holded uh, with a curated sort of products, but also just have expertise available for them to, uh, uh, to find out what they need. So, for example, if you go on the CircusCity.com website right now, you'll see a 1-800 number right there on the top of the page. So we want to encourage customers to call us. We also have live chat. We want them to um, have someone to talk to to understand what they want. So as opposed to just a traditional e-commerce website where it's self-service, you might go to one of our competitors and uh, you search for something like laptop and you'll see you know, 500 pages of laptop but you're not really sure which one is the right laptop for you. So we want to we be there to guide the customer for their specific needs. So 
that's something that we're definitely uh, doing yeah. for sure. Well, that, I mean, I think that's really valuable. Uh, and, you know, in my experience in consumer electronics, you have different types of transactions. Sometimes you just need a USB cable. You know, it's like, it's, I just need a cable. I know mm-hmm. what I need. It. But there's definitely those occasions, especially with the higher ticket purchases, where it can be really helpful to have someone help you think through it. And I think we've all had that experience of going into a, a best buyer wherever and you ask the you ask the salesperson, you know, what's the difference between this Sony camera and this Canon model? And they go, um, $63.50. And you're like, yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, do exactly. you know any, any more than that? And very often, you know, they don't, or they try to read the box back to you. Well, on this box, it says, you know, so I ha- be actually having that kind of expertise is, I, I almost think like a holy grail, certainly in a category like consumer electronics. How do you get it though? Um, are you able to go back and get all those people that you lost uh, five, seven, eight years ago, or are you training them up, or you find people with the expertise? I mean, how do you actually develop a, at scale a real expert team? Because that seems like a big challenge. It's a huge challenge. Scalability is a challenge. It's finding the right people and it's training the right people um, and keeping them, which are three things that are hard to do, especially in this. Uh, this climate over here. But what you'll find is that people love the Circuit City brand. They grew up with it or they remember shopping there. There's a close affinity to to it. And um, we got a whole bunch of people who just love the brand uh, that just want to continue it. Oh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about yeah. the other aspects of like the anatomy of a reboot. You get at a meeting and everyone says, okay, we're re- relaunching this brand. What are some of the things you have to think about? What are some of the assets and advantages you have, say, compared to if you were to just start a totally new brand versus what are some of the the challenges and obstacles you face when trying to reboot a brand that, well, frankly, the first thing a lot of people think now when they hear Circuit City is out of business. So it's actually, um, I, I, did, I did not, what's the right word? Let me rephrase this. So for us, it was uh a huge endeavor to to grow this brand from the ground. It's like literally a huge startup. It's a startup with an iconic name. So uh, to us, we had to go first of all figure out the strategy, which I told you we did a little bit of. Uh, it took us a couple of years to figure that out. Then we had to go to all the suppliers in consumer electronics. We had to go to every uh, manufacturer out there and explain to them how we're different and to partner with us. And uh, that was. A lot of conversations that we did, uh, over a thousand vendors, uh, manufacturers around the world that we had to engage with. And uh, we found that uh, people were in three camps. They loved it, right? Let's do this. They hated it. Oh man, you guys, Circuit City's back or whatever. And the third camp was, well, let's see what happens. And I'll tell you a funny story. We went to uh, one manufacturer, very, very well-known tier one manufacturer. And we sat down uh, in their table trying to, you know, just the first time we met and they pulled out um, and they pulled out some invoices that we owed them, the old Circuit City owed them. Like, here's a hundred million dollar bill that you guys owed us uh, from the old Circuit City days. Do you mind paying this back and then we can continue the conversation? Oh, I forgot so, my wallet, uh, unfortunately. A, I'll, 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 I'll get you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're like, well, we're not the same circus city, but uh, we could start again for now, and maybe we can make up that number over time. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, yeah, so, so you feel that, there, like that in some cases there might be some bad blood. I know I, you know, I run a business, and I have had 
a few occasions, not many, where a, a, a client went bankrupt and I got stiffed on a bill and, uh, you know, it hurts. It hurts. You feel it, you feel like some of those companies still have that kind of resentment towards what happened in the past or at this point they're over it and they're ready to just, you know, make something good in the future. I think they're over it. I think th- here's another really cool story that happened to us. I met a uh, another vendor of ours. Again, very big vendor. I'm sure if I tell you their name, you'll know who he is right away, um, the brand name. But uh, we met with their uh, their founder and CEO, and he said, "Well, thank you for going out of business because I started my business when you guys went out of business. Basically, I saw a flyer, Circus Cities, going out of business, and here's a deal on." Some, uh, I think it was a Canon camera, he said. Um, it was like half off because it was liquidation sale. So I drove all the way to uh, the Circuit City location. It was like 40 minute drive from me. I, wa- I, I drove all the way there and I bought this camera and I started taking pictures. And that's how I started my photography business. And then from there, I started selling uh, my own hardware. So because you guys went out of business, I was able to start my business. So I thought wow. that was a very interesting uh, story. Yeah, you just I guess it shows you never know the ripple effects of something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and what about with customers? Um, do you find you have to win them back or they're all like ready to come back? I mean, do you have a sense of how does the having gone out of business, how big of an obstacle is that with customers or to them? Is it like, oh, hooray, Circuit City's back? Well, we find a lot of people might not even know Circuit City went out of business um, because it happened so fast. It wasn't like a long, drawn-out process like you see others in the press, um, like whatever Sears or Kmart like took years and years, and Radio Shack took years and years. It was kind of like a sudden thing. It was like it went to court, and then like three months later, there was no more Circuit City. Um, so a lot of people may not know because they haven't purchased something in a long time um, you know you don't replace your TV and your computer every year you usually it's like you replace your TV every 10 years or so so a lot of people may not even know they're out we found out a lot and uh, a lot of people that do know um, really want to engage with another another retailer um, because in our experience they just need some hand-holding. Not everybody wants to have self-service. Like my brother, for example, God bless him, he calls me all the time like, hey, Victor, I need to know, uh, is this a good computer? Like, uh, I just, I need to know. Like he sent me some link on Amazon. I'm like, well, you know, what do you want to do with your computer? Like, it depends on what you want to do. And uh, he tells me he wants to do all these things. I'm like, it's a Chromebook. It's probably not going to do any of those things for you. But people don't know. So they need to... The handholding, yeah. and, and and any advice for retailers who would like to provide more handholding but are essentially trying to figure out how to pay for it? How do you how do you provide that higher level of service? You just accept that, that probably means the prices are a little higher, but know that people are you know going to be willing to pay it because the value they're getting. Or do you need to be price competitive with the self service retailers? And if you're doing that, then how do you incur the extra cost of that handholding and still be able to be profitable? Yeah, I think we have to. Um, I think you could do both. I don't think you have to choose one or another. I think we live in a world where the manufacturer, um, the manufacturers all have uh, regulating regulating their pricing, so they have minimum advertised prices and things like that. So 
there's some sort of um, margin that's kind of expected. And then working with the partners and, and working on specific programs, you can get training and you can get all those type of things that's, that you need uh, to supply to the customer in order to have a really good experience. And I think the brands, the brands want that. The brands need some diversification in the marketplace. They don't want three companies controlling 90% of the market share in, in the country. They want to have other uh, alternatives as well. So you'll find, and I'm sure uh, your, your, your viewers will find as well, that brands are very willing to work with retailers uh, directly on making things the best experience possible for the end user. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, if, you, if you have the people who can spend the time to engage, you're absolutely right. Lots of brands are always scratching their heads saying, how can we get the associates at retailers to do a better job of representing our product? How can we make our product look better at retail? Uh, absolutely. That makes full sense. Well, yeah. And the brands are trying to do this themselves on a direct-to-consumer model, um, uh, but they just can't scale like the retailers can. They don't have the resources to do it. So if you go like directly into a, a brand's website, you'll see they're offering those type of services because they know it's it's expected. Uh, so those brands can share those resources with the yeah, retailers absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And yet in many brands, it depends on the brand, they don't have full credibility with the consumer because, of course, the consumer, like you're saying, wants some advice. Well, of course, Sony's going to say their camera's the best. Of course, Canon is going to say their camera is the lightest and the easiest to use. You know, you want somebody that you feel is going to you know, provide you some some degree of unbiased opinion. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the retailers can also assort um, other accessory, uh, other things around it as well. So it doesn't have to sell just the brand. It can sell other products that are complementary to the brand uh, as well. So for example, if you're selling um, like a, a Canon camera, you can sell a different like, lens to go with it or other things that connect yeah, to the camera. 100%. 100%. Well, I'm curious, you know, um, based on your experience so far, and maybe it's a little too soon to say in terms of this reboot, but do you predict a wave of these? Are we going to see Neiman Marcus come back and Sports Authority come back and Borders Books come back? And, you know, are we going to see Because, of course, like Circuit City, there are all these great brands that have so much equity with people and so much history and at this moment are, are just kind of in the scrap heap. Um do you think that's a trend or that that makes sense for businesses to be reviving brands? Or do you think that it's something specific to the Circuit City brand that that magic may not apply to some of those other retail brands? I think it applies to national brands with huge exposure. For example, Toys R Us went out of business and now they're back and they're opening uh, stores. Um, I believe they're partnering with Macy's as an example. So. Uh, it's just a category killer, right? Everybody knows Toys R Us for toys. Everybody knows Circuit City for consumer electronics. Um, I think those brands are iconic and those are going to be much easier to bring back than, say, a regional uh, brand that may may not have national. Uh, so the Wiz isn't coming back? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love that. I, every time someone says the Wiz, I just think of that Seinfeld episode, <laughs> right. you know. Nobody beats the Wiz. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, the Wiz was a, a, a chain of consumer electronics <laughs> stores in New York City and uh, maybe a few other areas, but I think it's mostly a New York thing back in the 80s and maybe early 90s. But they were everywhere. They were huge. And then, I don't know, they I guess they just went out of business or something. But And as, as uh, Victor said, it was a funny um, uh, Seinfeld episode. Of mine. Um, well, yeah. I think I think another I think PC Richards owns the Wiz uh -huh. trademark. I could uh -huh. be wrong, but uh, 
So I don't think they're uh-huh. going to give that up. <laughs> um, well, uh, in our last segment of time here, I would love to talk about your vision for the future, the store of the future, the, the re- in-person retailing experience. Because one thing I think is very interesting about the approach that the, the Circuit City's taken is I think I've seen in a number of cases reboots of brands that are very focused on digital. You know, it's okay. This was a giant retailer. Uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of cost in that, leases and employees. And someone says, you know, I'm going to take this brand and I'm just going to make it an online-only brand because, let's face it, that's a heck of a lot cheaper. And you can hopefully get some traffic, you know, get some get some customer loyalty and run a, a business at relatively low cost. But that sounds like absolutely not the strategy that you guys are employing. You guys are going all in, and, and correct me if I overstate this, but going all in on an omni-channel approach, it's not all about digital. It's not all about a website, but very much about rebooting that in-store experience as well. And I'd be interested to hear if, if you agree with that characterization and then why, you know, why you, you still feel that it's worth the cost because, of course, it's substantial cost to put stores all over the place instead of just focusing on digital and, uh, and what your vision is of that future consumer electronics store that is going to be, you know, worth the trip versus me going on Amazon or, or even calling your 800 number <clears throat> to get advice. Well, I think in, uh, specifically in consumer electronics, I can't speak for other industries. If you're buying a TV or you're buying a pair of headphones, you kind of want to see the TV before you buy it. You want to hear like the audio quality. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of value for customers touching and feeling product and also for a sense of discovery. So uh, when I was growing up, I went to sort of city and I went through the aisles and I discovered product by just being there and looking and touching and feeling product. And I think that sense of discovery is lost in a digital perspective when you're just seeing 500 pages of, you know, TVs as an example, just it commoditizes the product. It looks like they're all the same at one point or another. Um, So I think there's definitely still a need for um, brick and mortar stores. I think it just needs to be reinvented a little bit for today's time. So you don't need to have like every single widget on earth. It doesn't need to be a 50,000, 60,000 square foot consumer electronics store. That's really tough when you just have one category. Um, so what we're seeing as a trend, and maybe you're seeing this too, Howard, is that these retailers are partnering with other retailers to have store, store experiences. Store. Uh, so a store within a store, right? So you'll see, for example, I've, I've seen... Um, like uh, like Toys R Us is partnering with Macy's. We've seen Petco partner with uh, Lowe's. We've seen uh, Sephora partner with Kohl's. That kind of thing where um, it's not just a dedicated consumer electronics store, but it's a store within a store that has a tremendous amount of traffic. So I think that model, you're going to see a lot more of that from other retailers yeah, who are forward. And so for a brand like Circuit City, I wonder... What are the different types of retail environments that make a good sort of host, if you will? Would you be in a CVS, for example? Or would you be in a 7-Eleven? Or would you be, you know, or, 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 where do you, or, or what do you think are the right types, right kind of categories? Or is it more like a large department store, like you'd be in a Macy's or something like that? What, or do you have a vision for that? Yeah, I think there's a model for all those things. So um, I can see ourselves in a pharmacy. Um, there's a bunch of cables that you see in a, in a pharmacy. 
a bunch of brands no one's ever heard of, but perhaps we use the Circuit City logo to kind of tie it all in. Or you go to a department store and you then maybe they're not known for consumer electronics, but they're in a strip mall with um, somewhere else, some other consumer electronic department. But they want to drive new customers and new traffic to their site, to their website or their uh, their stores. Uh, they just don't have the brand recognition. They're not known for it. So we can help assort the products, uh, make sure that uh, it's merchandised properly, make sure the customer service experience is there. And uh, having that that iconic Circus City logo um, and experience really makes a difference. And, and does that make it harder, or maybe not, I don't know, but does that make it harder to provide that level of expertise? Because when you're in someone else's retail environment, does that mean you you know you staff someone standing there to help people who are coming to the Circuit City store within a store, or are you relying on if it's in I don't know you know Coles or something? Are you relying on their staff? In which case, does that make it more difficult to deliver this this kind of new brand promise, or I shouldn't say new this this prior brand promise that you're revitalizing um, of of really providing that kind of expert advice? Yeah, if we're going to have like a store-to-store model, there needs to be some level of staffing in there because everybody knows you need this this industry, uh, consumer electronic products specifically, you need someone trained in in the in the stores. You can't have the guy selling makeup, selling, you know, a TV. Uh, you, you need someone dedicated for that. Um, so any model that exists um, would have to have trained, dedicated staff in those areas unless it's a self-service model like if you're in like i think you gave an example in some pharmacy you probably don't need a dedicated person to sell hdmi cables on right. a rack uh, that could be more of a self-service model but if it's going to be like a natural store to store you definitely need somebody yeah. trained yeah that makes good sense yeah and i even wonder if there's you know remote you know we're also used to zoom now uh you know i've been impressed recently with united airlines for example where if you go to the airport now and you need you need the sort of thing you used to have to go to the counter for, you know, if your flight gets canceled or something, now they've got these signs everywhere. Just scan this QR code and, you you know, you can get into a video chat with somebody, you know, wherever, right? If they have a huge storm in Dallas, they've got people probably at their locations all over the world talking to the people at the Dallas airport, not being limited by the number of people that are on location there. So I don't know if that's the future, but, um, you know, that... Yeah, we're doing that on a digital perspective also. So you can you can schedule um, video chat for sales, but also um, one thing that we've done and we've been a leader on this is uh, support. So let's say you buy something from us and you need some help installing it, we can do a video chat with us and we'll walk you through the setup uh, of yeah, the device. That's huge. And uh, is that is that like in, a Geek Squad type yeah. thing where you pay for it or is that just part of the value of buying a product through Circuit City? Uh, it's a combination of both. So we're playing around with different models. Uh, we'd like, it's not even, uh, the model that we have is not even products that you've purchased from Circuit City. So if you bought something from one of our competitors, we would still try to support you with those products oh, wow. as well. I see that I want to get from my mom because I got to admit, I'm tired of being the one she calls for that every time. I bought this. It's not working. My printer's not working. I want, I'd love to have somebody. I can say, just call Circuit City. They'll take care of it for you. Well, we want to give we want to give a reason for people to come to yeah. come to Circus City, and we're not we're not a uh, self service model. We want to be 
you want to be there to help and then yeah. it's a real trauma. Well, let me ask you one last question since I know you're the CMO and we've been talking very much about sort of the, the, the overall business, but from a pure marketing perspective, um, you know, how do you, how do you convey that? Any, anything in particular you guys are doing to make sure that that aspect of the brand promise, that competitive differentiation point is being really clearly communicated to everybody? Yeah, we're doing a lot of uh, things in sports marketing. For example, we had a primary uh, sponsorship with NASCAR uh, for a couple of years. Um, and we like engaging with the NASCAR audience. We're doing some up-and-coming sports marketing initiatives. That's going to be um, fun, <laughs> to, to say the least. But every, every element that we work on, we want to showcase two things. One, the brand promise of what we want to be and what we want to do. So we want to... Uh, we want to be there for the customers uh, and for support and to just uh, just experience of, of consumer electronics um, and the customer experience. We want to make sure that they're satisfied. It's a competitive price point and uh, we take care of the customers. We want to show that across all the touch points that we do any marketing effort on. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Victor Elman, thank you so much for joining us and excited to keep track of what's happening with the new rebooted Circuit City. If people want to know um, where to go or when is when is there a new store coming to my town or is there a store within a store I should go seek out where's the or, or anywhere else you want to send folks where, where should they go what should they do to learn more about you your work or or the latest news about Circuit City? Well, I think you should go to CircuitCity.com, uh, sign up for our email list, and we will be sure to uh, notify for every new development. Excellent. I'm that sending my mom over there right away. <laughs> No, that's great. Thank, Thank you so you much know. for joining us. This has been really, really interesting. I really appreciate all your insights and you know, congratulations and good luck with your continued effort of relaunching a great brand. And uh, of course, Thank and thanks much, to all Tom. of you as always for listening or watching as you may be doing the Winning Digital Customers podcast. Really appreciate you. Uh, remember to like and subscribe if you have not done already. Look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, keep transforming. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Winning Digital Customers, the podcast. Find more great episodes at wdcpodcast.captivate.fm, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, or wherever you listen. And visit winningdigitalcustomers.com to learn more about the Wall Street Journal bestselling book that inspired the podcast.